0: Garbage into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com and follow the Sixers branch of the site on Twitter at phl Sixers nation And you can follow Philadelphia Sports Nation at phlsportsnation. The Sixers are still in the midst of playing game two against the Boston Celtics, but it's Currently 100 to 77 and things aren't about to get better. So before we get into the bad, a little bit of good is that support for Garbage Into Gold is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And let me tell you, the grooming experience is second to none. It's not like any regular razor. And one of the things that I enjoy the most about the brand new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0 is that it features an LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. Now, this isn't something that you think that you would need, but it comes in handy for making sure that you know where you're going down there. And this lawnmower 3.0 has a completely redesigned trimmer. They spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. And for you, if you are listening to this, you can get 20% off plus free shipping on any item from Manscaped with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PHL. All right, so the Sixers are about to go down 2 nothing to the Boston Celtics in the first round of the playoffs, and uh, there's no signs that it's going to get any better. I talked a couple of seconds ago about how it was 100 to 77. It's now 105 to 84. So I'm going to go ahead and get my co host, Jesse Larch, on here, and we'll get this uh, angry, frustrated podcast underway. bad as as it could possibly be huh
1: yeah like literally Maybe. i'm not sure how they could have came out much worse
0: yeah well they came out fine
1: i saw Neto came in with a nine point lead and then finished minus 16 <laughs> so yeah. yeah love that thanks brett
0: all right well i guess it's gonna be that kind of episode you're uh here with brandon after jesse larch is the other guy and uh i think you and i were texting in the first quarter feeling a little a little good i mean after the first game other than turnovers it seemed like they might be able to make this a series um but boy oh boy boy oh boy were were we so incorrect i mean if there's silver lining here uh let let me look at this here um they only have six turnovers, so they did fix the turnovers.
1: Yeah, they broke the offense, though. You know, they kind of broke the defense, too. I'm, you talk about that first quarter. It's funny you say that because I actually texted one of my other friends, and I was like, I can't even enjoy this first quarter because I know they're going to blow it somehow. <laughs> and sure enough, it took not even to the end of the first quarter for Howell Neto to get in the game. Just you know, after Alec Burks has been scoring twenty a night off the bench, let's put in Howell Neto. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, up fourteen early, outscored thirty-eight to twenty-four in the second quarter, thirty-three to eighteen in the third quarter. Uh, Celtics never looked back. Right now, uh, the fourth quarter's even, so that's a plus, I guess. But I mean, I think the overarching thing here that that everybody is probably going to agree on is that i mean it could not have got been a worse adjustment game for brett brown uh Neto over burks especially i mean burks scored 18 points in the first game doesn't get minutes until the what the end of Mid-second the first quarter, quarter the mid like maybe the beginning of the second quarter uh played nearly 28 minutes in, in game one now at 14, but at halftime, he had played six minutes, which is I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. I, like I just don't know what goes through your mind. I get. I mean, I've been a whole Neto supporter, but uh, I can say that I was very frustratingly surprised, shocked, baffled, raged and confused.
1: I mean, for me, it's two games in a row. You come out throwing the ball to Embiid on the block. He's absolutely destroying people. I mean, hitting shots every which way, keeping them close to the basket, shooting high percentage. Then we start shooting the threes with 20 seconds on the shot clock. Then you start giving Embiid the ball at the top of the paint instead of in the paint or on the block. It's like all the things that work, they consciously get away from. It may have been you that sent it. It might have been someone else. I think it was you. But it's like, oh, Jay, Rich, and Shake had a good first quarter? Let's sit them down for the whole second quarter.
0: Yeah. And, it's and like I, the guy mentioned... doesn't
1: understand, not even the idea of a hot hand. But we get in the third quarter. The game's still, you could argue it's in reach. Here comes Furkan Korkmaz, who hasn't been on the floor all night. Yeah. It's like, it's like he's just throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. But the more frustrating part about it, is there is shit that is already stuck to the wall and he just ignores it. Like there's only one way you're winning this series or winning a game in this series and that's to exploit their lack of size with your excess of size. That means Tobias Harris inside, Al Horford inside, Joel Embiid inside. And he just doesn't want to do it. He does it for a quarter and he thinks that's enough and then thinks... I think he's just micromanaging himself to death or he's just Brad Stevens might be in his head cuz Brad Stevens is so good at adjusting that he's trying to like be two steps ahead of Brad Stevens but he's playing himself by doing that.
0: Yeah. I mean the I think we'd agree that the move to start Thibble in place of Horford was probably the right move going yes. into this one. No, uh, I but I mean I, Jason Tatum I don't think anybody could stop. I don't even think uh, Sixers process hero Robert Covington would be able to stop Jason Tatum tonight. I mean, well, look, what, what look, looking happened, at it right now, 30, 33 points on 8 for 12 from 3. I mean, he's he's hitting those step-back 3s, and it's just so smooth. And again... What
1: Boston what, did is they adjusted quick, right? <laughs> so Embiid is not following Daniel Tice out to the 3-point line, which I understand. So then what does Tice do? He sets a pick for Thibel, gets Tatum wide open. Tatum
0: knocks down that shot every single time. The drop coverage in the pick and roll is one of the most frustrating things that has never worked in Brett Brown's tenure as head coach. I know that he says, like, if you're going to lose one way, it's going to be by the mid-range. Because mid-range basketball is not really the basketball that we see the NBA going. It's the three-pointer. Like, and I get leaving... Daniel Tice or Ennis Cantor open, but the amount of times that they leave guys like Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown wide open coming off of a pick because Joel Embiid's just camping out in in the paint. Like these, these guys are not looking to pass. They're looking to shoot it because they can make it. Like the reason Brad Stevens keeps running that play is because it's going to work every fucking time, every time. And Brett Brown doesn't ever adjust it. We saw Embiid step up a little bit, uh, on those pick and rolls, uh, starting in the third quarter, but it still wasn't enough. I mean, when you have guys that can hit mid range shots, you can't just use that game plan because, you know, if you lose that way, it's okay. Well, it's not okay anymore. It's game two of the playoffs, and after this, not only is your job likely gone unless you come back and and win four games in a row, but I mean, there's, I mean, what 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 are you gonna do from here? There's 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 no answer. You you gave it to Embiid early in the uh, in the first quarter. Tobias Harris, four for 15 as we speak. Fucking terrible. Uh Al Horford,
1: that. The, the amount of shots within three feet that were
0: missed. Al Horford, four points, a minus 11. He had, what, six or seven points maybe in the first game? That's like 60 million in one year scoring you jack shit in the playoffs. Tobias Harris, 0, uh, 0 for 2 from beyond the arc. It's like that hesitancy we talked about that we thought he was coming out of, it's back. He's, I mean, he it looks like he has the yips from beyond the arc. 17 three-pointers, too, Jesse. And I'm sorry I'm keeping going here, but it's just you cannot take 17 three-pointers and expect to win against a team like the Celtics. You need to take more three-pointers. Tobias Harris can't take two three-pointers. Thibel has to take more than one. I mean, Shake Milton's taking the most three-pointers. I mean, it's just... Oh. i mean
1: i dis- I disagree with that, and only in- for the reason that game one and game two they come out perfect from the field, living inside the paint, living on the mid range right why not just fucking like you got yeah, you're gonna shoot threes here and there, why not just go you know fifty five for seventy from mid range or from inside
0: because Obviously, Embiid's not going to be in there all the time. Horford is not Joel Embiid. So you need guys on the perimeter to space things out and to hit those shots off the double teams. But when those guys aren't hitting their shots from there and not even taking them, then you can just crowd Embiid in the post and you're fucked that way too.
1: I think the the best that offense looked in either of these games is early in the games, playing inside, playing to the team's physical strengths. Every time they try to go and play pace, and you know pace and space offense, that's when things were falling apart. Especially when you have guys like Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, who are not high percentage three point shooters. They're average at best. Tobias Harris's game is the mid range. Josh Richardson's game is the mid range. Like I understand the way the league's going, but you also have to play with the cards that you're dealt, right? You're not going to go all in when you have a shitty hand. Right, You got to figure it out, you got to be patient. You have to take your shots when you get them. And Brett Brown doesn't want to do that. He wants to still play his system without the personnel to fit that system.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I agree with you. What I'm trying to say is that you need some balance because, like you said, Brad Stevens and the Celtics are going to adjust. And Bede has come out cooking in the first two games of this series. But at the same time, if Harris and Richardson can't contribute a couple threes a game, like, I, again, I still, I mean, your bench total took four three-pointers. And I know it's not just a three-point game. It's, it's it's, you know, we we still don't see the bully ball that we were promised at the beginning of the season. But, I mean, I think the the fact of the matter is, is that Tobias Harris, if he's, <laughs> I mean, he missed pretty much everything tonight, but he needs to take more than two three-pointers. Like, you need more volume there. Whether you're giving the ball to Embiid or not, because Embiid can't score 60 points a game, and Tobias Harris just rely on the mid range. Like I, you're not gonna live and die by the three pointer, but you have to rely on it somewhat. Otherwise, you're not gonna win any games.
1: I mean, look, they definitely need more from Tobias. That's a fact. Like, there's no around that. I do still think there's things like like when they double team Embiid, run Tobias or Horford or Richardson backdoor. Then you have a guy right next to the rim for a bunny. Like there's just simple basketball concepts that like I don't claim to be a savant. Like I really don't understand like the the true complexities of basketball like an NBA coach should. But we can see plain enough the things that are and aren't working. What's generating points, what isn't, how Boston's defending and what you're running yourself into. And it just feels like everybody can see it except for Brett Brown. Or he's just too damn stubborn to change it up and go with a different route. Like he, he, what are we in his sixth or seventh year now? Has he ever ran a different set? Like he's been running the same offense for seven years.
0: Yeah. I mean the there's no there's no uh, like you mentioned that stuff, but I guess like the other thing that comes in there is like uh, this isn't a team that that has very good cutters either like they do like thigh makes a good cut every now and again but i mean when tobias is hesitating on most every shot that like his confidence just didn't look there tonight uh richardson didn't have a terrible game i mean it was a my mi- uh he's a minus six but he scored 18 points uh and shot 50 percent from the field like he had a pretty solid game but uh yeah i mean if you're if you're gonna try to run the same offense i I saw somebody posted on twitter that it looked like they were doing a dribble handoff with richardson and if it was jj reddick in that position you'd have like a window for a wide open three-pointer but richardson instead tried to slash and and shoot over tice and he missed a layup and it's just like you said you can't run the same offense and and expect it to work like it's just it's just not going to work. It was Joel and and pretty much n- nobody else, because, like I said before, I he would, can't I, score I would a say sixty. Sh-
1: I think Shake Milton played well or didn't play scared. I'll say um, he still is no match for Kemba defensively, which we all knew. But it's it's bad. Like there's not a prayer that Shake can get a stop against Kemba if it comes down to like you know last shot of the game. Kemba draws Shake. It's over. Kemp is going to destroy him and he's destroying them every time they get matched up. Um, The thing, one of the things I think Brett's doing is he's obsessing over matchups, right? So Gordon Hayward goes out, he takes Horford out of the lineup and we totally see the Sixers get away from their size advantage. Because I think Brett was so conscious that the Celtics were forced to play small, even though they're already small to begin with, but the Celtics were forced to play small because of the injury to Hayward. That was like Brett's biggest fear was getting burnt by the smaller lineup instead of punching the smaller lineup in the face, running a half court offense and using your size to your advantage, which when they did it in game one in the first quarter and even in the third quarter to get back into the game, it worked perfectly. They had no answer for it. First quarter tonight, no answer for it. And then they just lose control of the game And they can't stop the bleeding. They let Boston sink their teeth in and play the game Boston wants to play. Like, it's just, we're saying it over and over. He's just obsessed with playing that pace and space game. The thing is, you don't have Brett Brown, or not Brett Brown, you don't have Ben Simmons to run you in transition right now. No one on that team can run the transition offense. Maybe Neto, but Neto can't be on the floor. Right? Ben Simmons is one of the best transition point guards in the NBA you don't have him so you have to adjust and they're refusing to adjust they're trying to run the same exact concepts without one of the top 25 best players in the nba
0: yeah and again if you're not going to adjust your defense and right now as we speak taco fall is coming into the game 249 left in the fourth 122 to 96 celtics lead um but yeah what was I saying before? I totally lost my track. Of, I saw everybody tweeting about Taco Fall, but um Yeah, when you, when when you're running the same defensive schemes with different player with with different players like you said with Ben Simmons and you do that drop coverage, you you only really have one player that's good at fighting around that pick and roll and that's Matisse Stiebel. and and we all know what Jason Tatum did to everybody that defended him tonight. But if you have nobody to like power through pick and rolls, you're almost giving those guys just a free two points every single time down the court.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, it's like, I feel like everyone, anyone listening, anyone that watches basketball semi-regularly, anyone that's played peewee basketball understands, like, the advantages of big versus small, how small beats big, how big can beat small. All of those things like everyone understands mouse in the house. Everyone understands that you don't want a seven footer guarding a point guard out on the perimeter. You know what I mean? Like just just like common sense, like two plus two equals four shit. And Brett Brown can't figure it out. Yeah, it's like I mean, I really don't want to keep burying the guy, but it's like and I mean, me and you especially, we've defended him more than anyone had a right to but it's just so bad
0: yeah and you know when when you think about whenever this agonizing pain is going to end i mean it's even if you fire brett you know the front office is still half colangelo guys you got elton brand who gave out bad contracts and now we're probably gonna what be up against like a I mean, we might have to get to a point where we used an amnesty on Al Horford or Tobias Harris and the organization might have to pay them 100 million just for them not to play. It's like Adam Eaton for the Phillies in 2008, how they were paying him or the Mets paying that guy for, for however many years after after he finished. But I mean, I feel like we used to look into an offseason and be like, OK, this is the most important offseason ever um and, and it used to be exciting the draft prospecting used to be exciting and i know we have the 21 or 22 pick in this upcoming draft draft thanks to the thunder pick conveying but i mean out of, out of the six picks that they have the one first and five four or five second round picks like they only have a spot for one of them because of the hole that they dug themselves into and you know i texted you and joked about it a little earlier but i mean the markel Fault saga more or less put us in a situation to be where we are now. Because of that whole situation, it deviated the entire process.
1: And look, I really don't even get mad about the Markel-Fultz thing because if you look at the hindsight argument of that, like, yeah, obviously, wrong move, right? If you go back to the moment we traded to get that first overall pick, it was, I mean, I know you were a little you weren't entirely I wasn't in favor of it. But in general, you would say the general reaction of the fan base was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. And it didn't work out, but I'm not going to get mad about it because at the time I was all for it and I'm going to own that. Yeah. Um
0: but see like from from my viewpoint and I know we're just like hashing up old wounds here. But the reason I wasn't a fan of it wasn't because I wanted Jason Tatum. Well, I wanted Jason Tatum. I don't know if Boston would have traded uh, with the Sixers to move down if they knew the Sixers were picking Tatum. Maybe they were going to take him either way. But, I mean, that Fultz pick pretty much shows that the Sixers didn't really know what they were doing anyway. Like, they were still trying to draft the best player available. But at the same time, you had a Ben Simmons at that time that is still now not willing to shoot. Uh, and, And you have a team focused around a center in an NBA that is moving a lot more towards pace. So if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are your two cornerstones, I just didn't understand at the time, why would you get another primary ball handler when the guy who is your primary ball handler doesn't have many off-ball capabilities so that's what I didn't get they were just hoping to change him into a two and I didn't really understand why they were trying to do that and why they wouldn't just draft a wing player that could help them immediately and that was the same thing with the Zaire Smith trade and I know hindsight is hindsight on that and it was good value getting that first round pick in return at the time but I mean that's a guy that could be helping the Sixers right now he's developed into a good defender and a and uh, definitely a player that can stretch the floor.
1: It's uh, I'm like, I, I have like resentment for the Sixers right now. Like, it's so, and we, I think we all kind of knew, like, the Sixers weren't going to win, just based on how the regular season went. But there was that like little glimmer of hope at first, like, well, I mean, if they're going to sneak up on anyone, the bubble's the perfect way to do it, then Ben goes down. And it's like, well, we're fucked. And then, you know, you come out in game one and you see there's a path to victory and then they just stop doing it. And you texted me earlier too, like, about how you know, you see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just develop year after year after year. People were calling Jalen Brown a bust after his rookie year. Look how good he is now.
0: Yeah, uh, I heard that on the Ricky, um, and and they were talking about, like, we know Ben and Joel are all-stars, but if you look at it now, I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like you said, Jalen Brown was a guy who we were calling a bust, and now has developed into, I mean, not a superstar, but he's certainly, like, pretty good you know a player that that would certainly help the Sixers at this point and we all know what Jason Tatum is we we've known about it ever since uh you know the Fultz thing didn't work out and uh, you know Ben Simmons has been very very good he's gotten improved defensively but you know I feel like his passing has gotten a little bit worse and he's in the same place that he was, if not worse off than he was offensively, because I feel like that rookie year, he was taking jump shots just because there wasn't that like magnifying glass. And, and Bede is still tremendous. One of, if not the best center in the league, but I mean, you can argue that his conditioning is not as good as it was when he was a rookie. And, uh, Again, now the Sixers are just in a place without Ben Simmons where they have to rely on a center in today's n b a to to carry them to now what seem what is an insurmountable two nothing deficit in the playoffs and it's just it's not frustrating but i I feel well, it is frustrating, but I feel like we're back to where we were before the process began, and just like a six to eight seed kind of playing mediocre with these not-so-great contracts and everything, and it's just depressing to think of it that way.
1: I mean, what I was saying with, like, the Tatum and Brown thing, and I I texted this to you, too, is it's just an indictment on the coaching staff that we can't develop players. Like, Zaire Smith, all of his, you know, near-death experiences and injuries aside, like, he hasn't grown an inch as a player in two or three years now. Two years.
0: I'm going to give him, like... One more I'm gonna give him this year as a pass since this year was his like recovery from near death so I'm gonna give him this year as a pass I agree with you but I'm giving him a pass this year it was nice to see Shake Milton finally play it looks like he could be a good a good player but yeah those
1: even then you talk about playing Markel Fultz as a two guard when he's a one they're playing Shake as a one when he's clearly a two.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's turning into players to, to what they are. And, and I feel like you and I talked about this on an earlier episode, and I forget what it was. Maybe it was the earlier days of Richardson where we saw them trying to run, like, a lot of DHOs, and they were trying to turn um, Richardson into J.J. Redick. But it's just not working.
1: No, we need – I mean, the with how bad this is going, I have – a fair amount of confidence Brett's done because this is, like, not just losing. This is bad. This is getting absolutely demolished.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, if they keep him after this, there's a serious issue.
0: I might become and, a Suns guy with you if that's the case.
1: The Suns are a lot of fun right now. It's, I mean, they're kind of making headlines for a different reason today. But, you know, they're still a fun basketball team. They're off-court shenanigans aside.
0: Yeah, I just saw this tweet I've, uh, a couple minutes ago, and I forgot to mention it. But it, this is the 10th straight playoff game where Tobias Harris will f- have failed to uh, score his career average in points. That's awesome. Um,
1: Meanwhile, Jimmy Butler hit a game-winning shot last night.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Butler hit a game-winning shot. Timothy, uh, TLC is uh, starting for Brooklyn in the playoffs.
1: Covington starting for Houston.
0: Uh, And you've got Jeremy Grant in Denver. I mean, it's just... The game just went final uh, 128-101. Well, Jakar Sampson's playing in Indiana, too.
1: Yeah, check that out.
0: That's pretty crazy. So Jason Tatum finishes the game 33 points, 12 of 20 from the floor. Uh, That's a game high. Uh, Kemba Walker with 22. Jalen Brown with 20. And then on the Sixers' side... Embiid, oh, I'm sorry, Embiid with the game high, 34. He was a minus 21, um, 34 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, two turnovers, um, 12 of 13 from the line, 11 of 21 from the floor. Not not really more you could ask of him. Richardson, 6 of 12, 18 points, but Tobias Harris, 4 of 15. Thibel, I know you put him in there to, to match up on defense, but only getting two shot attempts is... is Unfortunately, not something that you can live with in the playoffs. And then the Neto over Alec Burks thing, you know, Burks finishes one for eight from the floor. I feel like you just I – don't, I don't know what you do in game three. It'll be a home game, so maybe they'll win. But, I mean, looking, looking ahead to game three, like what do you – like what, what needs to be – they fix the turnovers. Like what now? I
1: think the only thing you do now is you just commit to being the bigger team. Because, I mean, they tried matching up small tonight, and they got fucking torched. You know, they kind of tried to play as a bigger team against a small lineup in Game 1, and they did find more success with that than they did tonight. So I would say go back to putting Horford in the lineup, you know, put Mike Scott back in the rotation, and just live with size. Because clearly you can't match up in a small lineup with them, which anyone with a brain knew that. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, sorry. Uh, Voracek just scored. Uh, Flyers just tied it up. uh, 1-1. That's a a real team. That's That's a real (laughs) coach. Yes, it is. A real coach. Uh, I mean, is there anything else that we haven't really retouched on? I know I wrote this, like, little rundown. It was very frustrating not only to see Tobias Harris struggle so much, but him and Josh Richardson in the third quarter missing gimme layups was, like, yeah, it didn't even surprise me anymore, because it's kind of par for the course at this point. But um, uh, I know,
1: I, I know, I said this over and over last year about James Ennis being the best rebounder on the team. There's another sixer on a playoff team, by the way, James Ennis in Orlando and Markel Fultz. Yeah. Um. Beat the Bucks in Game One. That's cool.
0: Yeah, the Bucks. That's interesting because the Bucks are that team that everybody just assumed would be the representative for the east. But I, I mean they've looked very bad in the bubble overall. They have not think, looked good.
1: I think the Bucks are extremely overrated. They scare me least than anyone else in the East. Yeah. I think that's that's honestly if the Sixers got the Bucks in the first round we'd be moving on. I believe that.
0: Hmm. Yeah I was gonna I was taking I a think, look at I somebody. Think the
1: Bucks the Bucks are a very one note team. They play through one player. Then again maybe Brett wouldn't be smart enough to figure that out.
0: So is is but is this kind of like LeBron? Coach. Is this kind of like LeBron's Cleveland years for Giannis?
1: Yeah, um, except LeBron's good enough to get his team past other teams by himself. Fair. I don't think Giannis is. I think Giannis can do what he can do in the paint, but he can't do the things like LeBron can give you. What do he have? Fucking. What was LeBron's line the other night? 23, 17 and 18?
0: Something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's absurd. Like figures 3.
0: Yeah, 23, 17 and 16. And they still lost.
1: They lost, but that's still an insane line.
0: Yeah, how do you but, how do you think uh go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, nah, you can go. ahead. I was going to say I haven't gotten to watch like too much of the other series, but I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna give the Bucks one more game, but if the Magic find a way to win two, I think they could beat the Bucks.
1: I mean, Brook Lopez cannot defend Nick Vucevic. There's another sixer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Brook Lopez has no prayer stopping Nick Vucevic. If Markel Fultz can continue, like he had a pretty good game one. Um, I don't think he's gonna do that every night. Yeah, If Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton can't get it going, Milwaukee's dead in the 15 water.
0: 15 points, six assists, two rebounds, six of 11 from the floor, one of four from three for Fultz. 11 points on three-for-five shooting, including two of three from beyond from Mr. James Ennis.
1: Oh, so the whole thing I was saying anyway with Ennis. Is last year in the playoffs – He was by far the best rebounder on the team in terms of not in rebounding totals, in terms of following up shots, boxing out and actually attacking the ball off the rim. I saw it in game one. I saw it again tonight where Boston puts up a shot and the guy that shoots it gets his own rebound where I think it was Robert Williams did it in game one. Kemba did it tonight. It's like, that's just a team that isn't going to win. It doesn't matter how much talent's on the floor. Even if you had all the talent back, you're not going to win a game playing like that.
0: Yeah. Um, Heat Pacers should be a good one. I know you mentioned Jimmy Butler uh, carried them down the stretch, but um, you know, I, gosh, I'd much rather have Jimmy and JJ on bad contracts right now than Al and Toby. I'll tell you that much. And I'm not much of a hindsight guy, but here I am doing hindsight. Um, Rockets, Thunder. I mean, I wouldn't. The 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 Magic over the Bucks might be a little bit more shocking than like the Trailblazers over the Lakers. But Lillard's playing out of his damn mind right now. Like it, it wouldn't honored. shock me if they beat the Lakers.
1: He's out of his mind, but like, how long until LeBron starts picking him up at half court?
0: Yeah, like, I mean, once I that know.
1: happens, if, once that happens, I feel like his his runs going to come to. Like I, I, don't see Portland beating the Lakers. They um, look a lot Anthony, better
0: with Nurkic. I mean, they're like a completely different so team with Nurkic.
1: I think in our preview for the bubble, I said that that they are like Nurkic is the perfect fit for that team. Because all he does is rebound, and he hits his shots when he gets them. He doesn't demand the ball, which lets Dame, CJ, and Mello do what they want to do. Um, so in terms of chemistry, like a well-built lineup, like that's a team built the way it should be built. They fit with the game plan their coach wants to do. Flyers score again?
0: Yeah. 2-1. Who got it? Vorchek again.
1: Let's go, Jake.
0: Power play goal.
1: I might have to pull my Voracek jersey out of my hockey bag. He probably smells like feet, but he's rolling right now.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, the Raptors. The Raptors should sweep Jazz Nuggets. Tied one-one. That's been a good series. And um, yeah, I mean, Mavericks Clippers. If Porzingis didn't get ejected the other game, I mean, the the Mavericks could have won that one.
1: Yeah, I still can't see. Like, I think the Clippers get to the Eastern Finals.
0: Yeah, or Western. I don't
1: a. know if they, that's, yeah, sorry. I don't know if they get to the NBA Finals, but I think they get to the to the West Finals. Yeah. As good as, Lu- like, Luka Doncic is legitimately a top three, top five player in the league right now.
0: Yeah. But. He's... I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when he first came into the league and people were just like, we got Ben. We don't have to worry about it. Luka. Given Ben can shut him down on defense, but.
1: I mean, as much as I like DeAndre Ayton and like, fuck, fucking God, Vladdy DeVox took Marvin Bagley instead of Trey Young and Luka
0: Doncic. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. Maybe they'll take Al Horford this well, offseason. Vladi,
1: I think I saw Vladdy step down, so there's no chance of that now. Yeah. But man of his word, he said if he didn't deliver, he was going to step down, and that's what he did, so.
0: I mean, he. But it was like
1: when once he made that statement, I was like, "Well, you'll be gone in a year, then."
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, Pages Stoyakovich, I think relinquished his role uh, as assistant GM. All right, so I'm looking at your tweet right now about coaches. The short list: Mike Brown, Charles Lee, Darvin Ham, Wes Unseld, Pat Delaney, Sam Cassell, Adrian Griffin, Jason Kidd, Mo Cheeks, Willie Green. Becky Hammond, Stan Van Gundy, David Fitzdale, David Yerger, who I know we talked about uh, four or five episodes ago, Kenny Atkinson, Jawan Howard, and Jerry Stackhouse. Any favorites for you out of that potential Brett Brown replacement list?
1: Um, there's a lot of names I like there. You know, Mo Cheeks, I would say, is a long shot, considering he already coached here. I don't really know if he wants to be a head coach again. Um, I don't know how the fan base would react to bringing him back, but in terms of like an overall good guy, a guy who's coached as an assistant successfully for a very long time, he hasn't been a head coach in at least ten years. I feel like, but yeah. Mo Cheeks has definitely been there, done that, old school guy. Which I I am searching for an old school mentality in the coach because I think I think Brett's been a little and Mo Cheeks. I don't think's really hard on players either, but. Brett Brown, I think, is criminally soft on the players.
0: Yeah, I saw a um, couple of people tweeting, do you think Joel Embiid um, requests a trade after this series? I would be shocked. <laughs> I would be shocked, uh, but at the same time, I also would not be shocked. It was Couturier, yeah, Sam, by the way, on the power goal. Oh, okay,
1: okay. Um, so Sam Cassell with the Clippers under Doc Rivers, you know, again, old point guard, like just kind of fits that same thing with any pro sport, like the average players, and he's probably a little better than average. But like average players make great coaches, like that kind of thing. And he's he's been around as an assistant for a while with the Clippers and with Doc Rivers, um, Darvin Ham and Charles Lee, both under Holzer in Milwaukee. Um, Darvin Ham, ex-player, Charles Lee, younger guy. You know, a lot of people speak highly of him. Mike Brown, you know, been a head coach. I believe he's been a head coach. Um, He's out there under Steve Kerr in Golden State. uh,
0: uh, What about um, who just got let go like a couple days ago? Alvin Alvin Gentry? Pelicans fired him.
1: I mean, I would flirt with it, but I feel like he's just not the answer. Right. Um, So, Jawan Howard and Jerry Stackhouse, I think, are really interesting. Jawan Howard coaching at Michigan now. Uh, worked very, very closely with Eric Spelstra during the Miami Heat Big Three era. And had he was a veteran on the team and then went right into coaching after that. Spelstra speaks super highly of him. Um, went back to his alma mater to be the head coach, but if he can be persuaded, I think he'd be an interesting option. And a guy who players would respect. Jerry Stackhouse, same thing. Um, assistant coach in the league for a long time. Very good playing career. Former Sixer in his own right and currently coaching at Vanderbilt as the head coach who has recently put out multiple NBA prospects.
0: I do Um, appreciate, I do appreciate you not putting Jay Wright on that list.
1: I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) There is no reason he would ever leave Villanova. Yeah. I mean, his like the coaching job at Villanova right now is like the head coaching job at Alabama. It's his until he leaves. Yeah. And he's going to get paid whatever he wants, and he has total control over the program. There's no reason for him to go to the NBA, and he has nothing left to prove. The guy won two national titles with mid-major. Like, like, no one's going to expect him to do more. Um, Wes unselled with Denver under Mike Malone. Um, you know, I think he's another ex-player, but a guy a lot of people are very high on. Adrian Griffins in Toronto. Jason Kidd, obviously been a head coach in two stops already.
0: Yeah, I don't know um, if I I'm, I'm, I don't know I'm, if I'd yeah, like the Jason Kidd one.
1: I'm not crazy about Jason Kidd. I think he's kind of fouled twice more than like has head coaching experience, but people are for some reason still high on him.
0: Yeah, I used to be I mean, I used to be uh what's it called, the home ground like give uh Udoka a try, but at this point I'm just kind of like clean clean it clean it out completely. Yeah.
1: Um Pat Delaney, I believe he's an assistant in Orlando under Steve Clifford and I think I read that they actually entrust him with the fourth-quarter game plan. So, I mean, obviously Orlando is really taking a step forward this year with that Steve Clifford staff. Um, I have Willie Green on there, assistant with the Suns. Obviously the Suns developing really well. Willie Green, another x sixer which, I mean, that's a bit of a trend I have here, but at the same time, I know Willie Green's been an assistant coach around for a little bit now. And another case of like... Montreal score? Yeah. Tie game. Um, I've got Becky Hammond on there, obviously with the Spurs. You know, I thought about Tim Duncan, but I feel like the Spurs head coaching job is for Tim Duncan <laughs> once Pop leaves.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested in, in, again, like the Sam Cassells, just because I feel like uh, having having a point guard to, to help Ben Simmons develop would be nice.
1: Or even develop a new point guard, which is – yeah. Another thing, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, So the uh, experienced coaches I have on here, Stan Van Gundy, who his name's been all over Twitter tonight for the way he's commentating on this game.
0: Yeah, it seems like Um, a lot of people are coming around on him.
1: Well, I was watching the Zoom Off feed just because I love Zoom Off and Allah, and I can't really listen to ESPN try to call the game. I'm not, I see some people really out on Van Gundy. Some people are thinking he's really trying to, like, campaign for the job which I've seen a lot of people say that tonight. Um, I will say with Van Gunn, Ga- on our crossover pod with Process Potables, there was a really good point made that he has a lot of experience with big men, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond. Like He's developed them. He knows how to use them and make them dominant and really highlight their abilities, which is something we could use a little more of with Embiid, I feel like. In addition, again, another older school guy, I think he toes that line of players, coach, and authoritarian really well. So in terms of that, I think he's interesting, and clearly he's interested in the job with the way he's talking about the games. Um, David Fizdow, just because everyone always mentions David Fizdow, but I'm kind of cooled off on him at this point after like Memphis got – I mean, the Knicks, you can never really put too much like thought into why a coach got fired there because it happens every year. Yeah, but it's weird that he got out of Memphis so quick and then out of New York so quick. So I'm not sure where to go on Fizdow right now. Like He may have just been another one of those guys who had a good run as an assistant and can't do it as a head coach, but everybody, like... Because he was so acclaimed as an assistant, people want him to do well. Um, David Yorger, I do like. He, I mean, he had a good time in Memphis. He did really well with Sacramento before being fired for... I don't know why, because he gave Sacramento a finish way above where they should have been two years ago. And yeah. I think they finished about the same place this year, so clearly not much improvement letting him go. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, I do like Kenny Atkinson a lot. I'm hearing a lot of him for the Bulls job, which maybe that is where he goes. I really don't know. But the only thing with Kenny Atkinson that gets me is he, like Brett, loves to play a wide-open, pacey game. And I kind of want to get away from that. I want to see the Sixers commit to bully ball with that roster they have. So I'm not sure he's the right fit. But nonetheless, he's a coach I like who seems to really get the most out of his team. So that's more or less This is just a really varied list of a lot of different options, experienced head coaches, assistants, you know, a couple outside the box names like you know, how many is it? 15. So there's seventeen names there. It's like you know, I'm sure you can interview more, but like this should be a far and wide coaching search. I know you don't have too much time, given the shorter off season. Yeah,
0: I mean, you have to once they get eliminated. You, I feel like you have to do it quickly, and.
1: And that's honestly, I'm worried that might save Brett, is them saying, well, we can't do a turnover like that when we have a one-month offseason, which is the kind of bullshit the Sixers would try to say.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Brett, uh, a couple of things that he said post-game. If the planet were normal, you'd be going back to Philadelphia and they did what they should have, one, two, at home. I think there's enough talent and character in the room to respond. And with regard to the team's effort after the first quarter, I think it got deflating when their shot makers went bananas. I'm not going to scold their effort. And with regard to Tobias Harris, quote, I thought that he was in attack mode in a good way. I think that he just didn't finish. Tonight was just a down night. So obviously Brett has to say the stuff where you think that there's enough talent and and character, but... um,
1: No, he doesn't. Sorry. No, he doesn't. He's... He's supposed to be fighting for his job. That doesn't sound like a coach fighting for his job. It sounds like a coach who either knows he's done or a coach who doesn't understand the sense of urgency. He's saying it like that's a game in fucking <sighs> November. Yeah. That's what that sounds like. No, you're two more losses away from going home. And you've shown no signs of life in two games.
0: On the on the Tobias Harris thing, that brought something else in my mind, and again, uh, brought me to a moment when I was looking to listening to the the Ricky. It was t- this morning, and like over the past few months, prior to uh, the shutdown, was that you watch players? I mean, you watch teams like the Celtics, because obviously we're playing them right now, uh, run these pick and roll plays, and it's so smooth looking but the Sixers are just so slow to get things going that so many of their possessions that aren't like Embiid in the post end up in like, okay, Josh Richardson has the ball with eight seconds left. Like, what do you do? Like, I don't know if it's them not calling plays at all. They don't have good enough like ball handlers or playmakers to, to feel comfortable doing it otherwise. But I feel like unless Embiid and, and bead has the ball in the post it's just kind of it's not really play there's the pick and roll uh, dribble handoff sort of thing but beyond that it's just like okay like let's pass it to tobias it's his turn let's pass it to jay rich it's his turn uh etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's what's so frustrating is you see so many other teams in the playoffs like running plays and looking smooth and then you have the sixers who literally look like you know running a simple basketball play is is like learning basketball for the first time in their lives.
1: The Sixers are like watching a Pee Wee basketball team with the way that Brett wants to get everyone involved. It's like like these aren't kids who parents paid fifty bucks and are sitting in the stangy all night to put their kid in. And that's what it feels like. He wants everyone to get their hands on the ball, everyone to have fun. It's like, no, this is win or lose. Like this is not you know, this is the difference between professional and amateur. Like, everyone doesn't have to play. Everyone doesn't have to take a shot. You have to win the game. And, like, even those comments... Those comments aren't as bad as the comments after game one. Where, oh my god, I was, like, livid reading those. But, it's still just that... You know, Like, I'm not going to sit here and question anyone's effort. or. It's like, dude... Like, this is when you do it. Because clearly your team's not responding to you. So you better change something. Yeah. You know, the same old, like, like, everyone got so aggravated with Gabe Kapler. Like, oh, <laughs> I was just
0: going to say, I was just like, I feel so like you're Brett getting... Brown t- is,
1: Brett Brown is so much worse than Gabe Kapler in terms of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I Maybe mean, I think you're right. Uh, Brett doesn't have to say that. And it would be very nice if he just said, you know our effort was fucking terrible after the first quarter it would be nice if he if he did that it had some fire because i feel like even him and jimmy like didn't get along but i feel like one of the games in toronto I forget whether it was like game 5 or 6 uh where brett at halftime like pretty much yelled at them and they responded like he's just not a guy that does that like he he takes responsibility for everything which, you know, uh, some coaches do. I'm not asking him to call people out specifically, but it's just like you can see just by his demeanor that he's tired, the body language isn't great, and it's just.
1: He's not even even animated on the sideline during the game. Yeah. He's just like letting it happen. The fire's gone.
0: It is. He's still beautiful, and I love his accent, but it's over.
1: Well, the thing, like you said, like, well, in a normal world, you know, they would have done what they were supposed to do. one, two at home, we'd be going home. Yeah, but you're not in a normal world. You didn't just play two games in TD Garden. You played two games in a fucking practice court. You know, there wasn't fans. There wasn't crowd noise. There wasn't the the troubles of being on the road. You were you were in a gym. Yeah. And you still couldn't wake up to play. So that's not an excuse. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, Jesse, Joel Embiid, uh, I don't know if you remember after game one, he's like, I need to play better. Uh, the quote that I see coming out now is from uh, from him is, we all just got to do better and do our job. So I think, think that he's finally, he, he's been pretty good about taking a, a brunt of, of the blame in a lot of their losses, that he needs to be a better leader, needs to be more vocal, yada, yada, yada. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, the body language in the third quarter, you, we all saw it. Like he knows his team needs to b- do a better job and he can only take so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, he deserves no blame. He he's not the issue with this team right now. I said this, there's three guys that I'd be that I want to see back next year. Everyone else can go.
0: 4-2 Montreal.
1: Jesus. Great night for Philly sports. Arietta looked like Arietta.
0: Yeah. Uh, and one of the Sixies things Sixies that we did sixer. talk about, by the way, is the pick and roll dropping. Uh, MB had asked specifically about that, and he said, I know they want me to stay back and protect the rim and pick and rolls, but something has to change. It feels too easy. Well, it's because it huh? is too fucking easy.
1: All right. I don't know what else we can really say at this <laughs> point. The Sixers <laughs> are just fucking.
0: Yeah. a nightmare. Just uh just sweep us. Let's say that. Boston please just sweep yeah. us.
1: Let's start getting some guests lined up for draft season. <laughs> that's, that's where we're at.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um we'll be back with another episode after game 4, unless like game 3 uh MB it scored 6 score 60. And Tobias scores 40, and they win 150 to, to 90. So we'll see you after game four. Uh, go Flyers, the real Philadelphia team. And uh, yeah, that's all we got. Jesse, anything else before we go?
1: Fireware Brown.